The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. We've got a lot of interference on the line here, but I think we're going to be able to do this. So what's the buzz on the street today? Well, the buzz is from a telemedicine pioneer named Dr. J.J.A.Y. Sanders. Here's a quote I found. We need to bring the exam room to where the patients are. Let's just let that sink in for a second here. So our mobile devices already let us do anything, everywhere, anywhere you want. You can email people. You connect with your appliances. You can make reservations at a restaurant, buy movie tickets. You can communicate with people all over the world, mostly for free on the phone, by text. My goodness, we are connected 24-7. If there was more than 24-7, we'd be connected that much. But as Peggy Lee, the wonderful crooner from back in the day, asked, is that all there is? Sorry about that. 1969 hit song, and the answer is not. The next mobile revolution is in health. Healthcare. Why? How? Because we need to be connected with our health, with our healthcare professionals. We have voice commands, we have mobile apps to let you and your healthcare providers securely access what we like to call a single source of data. That's your health data. Why do we want this? We want us all to be healthier. But a lot of questions arise. You know what the questions are. Who is going to collect your data? Where are they going to store it? How are they going to share it? How is it going to be transmitted? What's going to happen to it in terms of protection and the keyword privacy? Some people say we gave that up a long time ago. But when it comes to healthcare, we tend to be a little bit sensitive about who knows what our various health scores are, what our history is, what we're choosing to do and not to do with our healthcare providers. So, A lot of big questions on the table. Our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is the next mobile revolution, consumer healthcare. Let me tell you who my panelists are. We have three experts in the field, and we're going to learn so much from them together. In a moment, I'll be introducing you to Tom Foley. He's no stranger to Game Changers Radio. He's the Global Health Solutions Strategy Manager for Lenovo Health. He's been on before. We'll welcome him back. And two newcomers are joining Tom. We have Dr. Holly Miller. She has after her name the letter 
letters MD, MBA, and FHIMSS. She'll explain those to us later. Holly Miller is the Chief Medical Officer and Clinician Lead for MedAllies Healthcare Transformation Consulting Services. We'll find out what her company does. And rounding out the panel is Dr. Clemens Suter Krasilara, VP of Product Management for Health and Precision Medicine at SAP. And now let me introduce Tom Foley with the quote he sent me. This is a very interesting quote from T.S. Eliot. Those of you scratching your heads, T.S. Eliot. Well, Eliot spelled with one L and one T. That's a clue. He was a British essayist, publisher, playwright, library, literary, and social critic, and one of the 20th century's major poets. He was most, uh, most first prominently came to attention with the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock in 1915, a modernist with the modernist movement and his masterpiece he's most known for. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1948. Here is the quote Thomas selected. Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. A little bit of a, a circuitous reasoning there. Tom Foley, have you been? Good. How are you doing? Good to hear you again. I'm fine. I'm fine. We're delighted to have you back. Everything good with you at Lenovo Health? Everything is great with me in Lenovo Health. Awesome. Good. I'm glad you're healthy. So talk to me. Talk to me, Tom. <laughs> Tell me about this quote. T.S. Eliot, are you a big fan? Did you read the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock? Now, I know you didn't read it in 1915. No, I, uh, <laughs> I, I just love the quote in and of itself. Uh, you know, and it's so indicative of, uh, of where we are, the current state of healthcare. When you talked about, uh, the, you know, the earlier quote of, uh, uh, telehealth and going where the patient goes, you know, Lenovo Health's motto is, uh, customized care anywhere. But the point is that you, you need to think outside the box and you have to stretch. You know, healthcare is in a state of transformation. So, you know, let's go far. Uh, let's not be short-sighted. Let's not, uh, let's not take incremental leaps. Let's take, uh, le- you know, let's, uh, let's leapfrog the, uh, you know, wh- what we think uh, is actually possible to actually come to realization about having this customized care anywhere uh, let's go where the consumers are let's you know the brick and mortar is um is not really the uh the the uh, you know the right you know it's got it's got its purpose but it's not the only place to go uh in order to achieve uh, or to receive healthcare uh services Thank you, Tom. I have a question for you. When T.S. Eliot says only those who risk going too far, I just spoke about how is our health care data collected, transmitted, stored, protected, privacy, security. That's what's top of mind. We don't want other people knowing what's going on in our bodies and in parts of our lives. So when he says going too far, does that mean taking a risk with the security and privacy concerns of, of consumers, healthcare consumers? Quick, what's your thought on that? Well, I don't, I don't know if we've gone far enough in the context of actually protecting uh, consumer data and even uh, uh, you know data within the healthcare institutions. Uh, you, you don't have to go too far to look at uh, all the uh, the breaches uh, that have taken place in the last couple of years, and 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 then not only has the data the data been breached on the cybersecurity side, but Folks are using that data, walking in the front doors of health systems, uh, you know, with medical identity theft being an $84 billion a year problem. I, I'd say we haven't gone far enough relative to securing uh, the data and protecting uh, the uh, you know, consumer privacy uh, to ensure that we have one patient, one record type of model. 
Thank you very much, Tom. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. And now let's welcome Dr. Holly Miller, MD, MBA, FHIMSS, Chief Medical Officer and Clinician Lead for Med Allies. And Dr. Miller, I'm going to call her Dr. Miller because I, I respect uh, her, her education and her status. And Dr. Miller has sent us a quote from, this is surprising, Groucho Marx. Anybody who doesn't know Groucho Marx, where have you been hiding? His full name was Julius Henry Marx, M-A-R-X. He lived from 18 1990 to 1977. I always see, I see 1977 and I say, well, gee, that was just recently, but it really wasn't. It was a long time ago. He was known professionally as Groucho. He was an American comedian, stage film and TV star known as a master of quick wit and widely considered one of the best comedians of the modern era. He was impromptu, innuendo laden. He was a rapid fire deliverer. He made 13 films with his brothers known as the Marx Brothers. I don't know if anybody knows. He was the third born of the three and he was the host of radio and TV on the game show You Bet Your Life and if anybody's looking for a good disguise you might look for one of those big noses attached to a pair of glasses and they're called Groucho glasses with the big nose, the bushy eyebrows and the mustache one of the most famous I guess we call it a disguise but not really in the world here is the quote Dr. Holly Miller has selected I'm not feeling very well I need a doctor immediately ring the nearest golf course Dr. Holly Miller, I love the quote. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Love. The, are you a big fan of Groucho Marx? Do you, are you old enough to remember I, him? I am. I'm a huge fan of the Marx Brothers. Um, when we were, I guess, teenagers, we would stay up very late and watch late night television, and the Groucho and uh, the Marx Brothers movies would come on, and um, we enjoyed that very much. So tell me about this quote. I know it's very tongue-in-cheek. I'm not feeling very well. I need a doctor. Ring the nearest golf course. The implication, of course, doctors were always out playing golf. I won't make any political uh, aspersions here, Dr. Miller, but we we know that somebody else is playing golf very, very often today, and he's not a doctor. He's even more important than that. So so tell us, uh, how does this quote relate to our topic? We're talking about mobile revolution, healthcare, telecare. Talk to us. Well, it's interesting. I thought it was a nice twist on the notion that patients could actually um, be treated from anywhere, but also that doctors could be treating from anywhere. So taking time out with a mobile capability and technology as it is today, um, while others are playing, they could be treating a patient. So I thought this was a perfect quote for the, the, uh, the topic of discussion. Very interesting. Thank you. And uh, yes, I don't know how doctors would feel about wanting to get a to get a, a diagnosis while they're on the, the the third hole with a nine iron. I'm not sure about that. But very interesting. Thank you, Dr. Holly Miller. And please tell us what is your the letters after your name F H I M S S. What does that stand for? That means that I'm a fellow of HIMSS, the Health Information Management System Society. Very, very interesting and very important to our topic. And also, if I met you in an elevator, Dr. Holly Miller, and I had 60 seconds and said, what does MedAllies do? What would you tell me about your organization? Well, it's it's, uh, actually difficult because uh, the elevator talk for MedAllies, we do many things. Um, We have one of the largest health information service provider networks in the country, and we also do consulting for um, healthcare transformation. So we're involved in various projects, including um, patient-centered medical home, patient-centered medical neighborhood transformations. 
Thank you very much. Okay, and we'll be talking a lot more to you later in the show, Dr. Miller. And now we have another doctor on the show, but I think he's a different kind of doctor. He's Dr. Clemens Suter-Krasilara, VP of Product Management for Health and Precision Medicine at SAP. And I think I'm going to call him Clemens. He'll tell me if that's okay. He has sent us a quote from Ingrid Bergman. Uh, she lived from 1915 to 1982, a Swedish actress who starred in a variety of European and American films. She won three Oscars, two Emmys, four Golden Globe Awards, a BAFTA, a Tony, best remembered for her role as Ilsa Lund in Casablanca, and Alicia Huberman in Notorious. That was an Alfred Hitchcock thriller with Cary Grant and Claude Rains. Boy, that goes way back. Anybody wants to know more about Ingrid Bergman, who was also the, the mother of Isabella Rossellini? and had a, a wild and crazy affair with Roberto Rossellini and all kinds of scandals, wow, back in the day. Uh, interesting that she became known as the ideal of American womanhood and a contender for Hollywood's greatest leading actress. She was ranked by the American Film Institute as the fourth greatest female screen legend of classic American cinema. So here is the quote, very, very brief and to the point, Clemens has selected from Ingrid Bourbon. Quote, happiness is good health and a bad memory. I love that. Clemens, Dr. Suter Krasilara, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan of Miss Bergman? She is uh, certainly still in... Yes, I definitely in- am. I've, uh, I've seen all her movies in the past. <gasps> I mentioned, you mentioned a couple of them already. Uh, I think also Murder in the Orient Express is another highlight in our career. Uh, so I was always very impressed by her personality, uh, her professionalism as, a, as an uh, actress and uh, I like her saying because I think uh, we all realize that uh, health is absolutely crucial for our happiness. It has everything to do with our quality of life and if we just look back over the last uh, six weeks, uh, the new American president is in office and one of the things he honed in was again health care. So there must be something about healthcare, right? That makes it very uh, intriguing <laughs> and very special for us. It has a lot to do with costs, of course, uh, but it also has to do simply with how we feel about uh, about our lives and how we experience lives. And I think in that sense, uh, it also has to do with uh, a bad memory. Uh, one, if you have been sick in your life, uh, you can be ha- very happy if you get better again, and then you will quickly forget about uh, that sickness. Although I think I agree with you that uh, Ingrid Bergman was probably referring to something else when she talked about a bad memory. <laughs> I think so, too. Interestingly enough, uh, other movies you may remember her for, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the remake by Victor Fleming in 41, For Whom the Bell Tolls, 1943, Gaslight, yes. 1944, very The Bells song. of St. Mary, 45. She was in a movie once or twice a year. My goodness, she was a busy lady and a very, very beautiful classic beauty. Thank you. May I call you Clemens? Is that all right? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Th- thank you very much. So let's circle back to Tom Foley. Tom, you don't have to have a doctor in front or after your name, do you? I want to make sure. I do not. Okay, just just checking. I want to be respectful here. Tom Foley, I'm going to ask you a couple personal questions here. We're not going to expose any healthcare data unless you want to. Simply put, where are you calling from today? And what are you drinking if it's interesting and makes you smile? If not, what would you rather be drinking in your cup today? Tom Foley, go ahead. I am in uh, Punta Gorda, Florida uh, currently, uh, sitting out looking over the uh, the water from my home. So uh, a beautiful sight. 
if I if I wasn't on this uh, this program, I probably would be drinking a gin and tonic with uh, sapphire gin. So uh, um, I hope that, uh, that answers your question. <laughs> well, I think that's something good to aspire to, and and it probably yeah. would. I think it would be good for for your health, don't you think? They say alcohol clears uh, clears things out, so you never know. <laughs> there you go. And going back to Ingrid Bergman's... Alcohol and wine, alcohol and gin, <laughs> it, you know, it, it all clears the insides, they say. I think it would help uh, along with the quote Clemens provided from Ingrid Bergman about good health and ha- happiness is good health and a bad memory. And I think the gym would help clear out the memory of anything that ails you. Thank you, Tom. You certainly made me smile. Dr. Holly Miller, where are you calling from? And where is Med Allies based also? And Holly, what's in your cup today or what would you rather be drinking that makes you happy? Well, we're in uh, Fishkill, New York, and I'm in Fishkill, New York, and uh, I'm having my classic iced latte, which I enjoy very much in the morning. I think um, it would be fun to say I'm drinking a matcha or something very healthy, but I'm not. I'm drinking my iced latte. (laughs) Okay. It sounds delicious. Anyway, is it warm up there, uh, Dr. Miller? I know we had almost 80 degrees here in New York on Long Island. Is it beautiful? It's a beautiful day. It's absolutely cloudless, and it's probably about 70 degrees. It's Spring has come. I think so. I think so. I think actually we're going to leapfrog right into summer the way it's going right here. I planted pansies in the flower boxes on my terrace very optimistically on Sunday, and I'm hoping they make it because the daffodils that bloomed about a month and a half ago are still sitting on the ground saying, why me? We had rain. We had snow. We had deep freeze. And they're saying... I, I'm not getting good health care here, Bonnie. What did, no, I didn't plant them. The building did. But anyway, very interesting. Dolly. Talk about talk about telehealth, right, Dr. Miller? Uh, yeah, I'm shouting out to the daffodils. Just hang on. We'll bring you sunshine. Thank you, Dr. Miller. I know you're busy, and we really appreciate your time today. And now let's go to Dr. Suter Krasolara. Clemens, where art thou, and what art thou drinking today, or what would make you smile? Yeah, at the moment I'm in my house. I'm looking out of the window at our small courtyard here. We have an old farmhouse, uh, which is uh, located in a small village relatively close to the SAP headquarters here in Germany. Uh, It's also beautiful weather here, I must say, completely blue and and sunny. So I would rather be outside, actually, than inside. Uh, And I have in my cup uh, coffee, which is one of the last things that I have in my life. So... And tell me about that coffee. What's so special about it that you love it? Is it uh, is it brewed from a, a pod system? Is it something you, uh, you we, brewed? How'd you do it? We had a very small uh, cappuccino maker that I bought uh, a couple of years ago. So it makes a very, very nice cappuccino. It's nothing fancy, right? It's a very small, simple device, but it is really the perfect coffee. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Okay, and now I think it's time for us to take a quick break. We're speaking about a very important topic, whether you're in the healthcare field, any allied sciences, or if you're just a consumer of healthcare, who isn't? You must have visited a doctor at some point or somebody in your family did. Consumer healthcare is now part of the mobile revolution. How far away do you have to be? How near do you have to be to get good healthcare? And what practitioners are using this revolutionary technology? 
to be able to, I think Dr. Holly Miller put it so well, it's not where the patient is necessarily, but where will the provider be? How far away can they be and still give you the care you need? We'll get into all kinds of great subjects, subjects on this topic. And our special guests again today are Tom Foley at Lenovo Health, Dr. Holly Miller at Med Allies, and Dr. Clemens Suter Krasilara at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to the future of the future with Game Changers Radio and a shout out to our sponsors, Susan Walker and Brad Borkin and supported by Paul Clark at SAP. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be back with a lot more. You really don't want to miss this because it has a lot to do with you and the people you know. So I'll simply say to our engineer, Kevin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're speaking with Tom Foley at Lenovo Health, Dr. Holly Miller at Med Allies, and Dr. Clement Suter-Krasilar at SAP. And our topic today, a very important one, the next mobile revolution, consumer health care. Two important words. You're probably a consumer of something to do with your health, and health care has to do with how you are feeling and how you're doing in your life. So it's for everybody, this topic. Let's get the roundtable started in earnest with Tom Foley at Lenovo Health. And Tom sent me a whole bunch of interesting topics. Here, but we're going to start with something with a global reach. Tom says the macro trends of most geographies are the same. We have growing overall population. We have aging populations contracting more and more chronic conditions. Regardless of payment models, costs are not being controlled, and consumers of healthcare are paying more. That's our macro trend. Tom Foley, please tell us more. Yeah. So when we we. You, you talked earlier about um, you know uh, changing uh, you know new president changing uh, healthcare models you know, and at the end of the day I think we might be focused on all the wrong on all the wrong things while cost is a containing point if we focused on the quality of care and the delivery of care and, and working towards wellness we would we would address many of these uh, many of our challenges uh, in the. In the, in, in the delivery of care, hence the reason why, you know, even the movement to a value-based care delivery model 
I'm not quite sure many know about the difference between value-based care, what value-based care is, but quickly, it's the you know, encounter-based care is the system we have today. You go to the doctor, the doctor gets paid. Value-based care is about the idea of reducing cost and increasing the quality of care and and, and, the, and the physician taking on some risk and the healthcare system taking on some risk associated with achieving that, that care. So ultimately, they get a partial payment up front and then they get a and the rest of the payment when the, their overall population actually achieves a, a greater degree of wellness. And so, but you can only get so well, if you will. And so therefore, mm-hmm. that model only has a certain lifespan in and of itself relative to its, its viability. But at the end of the day, when you take a look at the, the things that you noted, uh, growing population, aging population, contracting more and more chronic conditions, the payment uh, model, what the big the biggest trend in, in all that is on the flip side of that equation, you have less less and less physicians, regardless of geography, that are able to take care of that growing, aging, sicker population. So now we have this dichotomy of we got an older, aging, sicker population, less care physicians to actually deliver the care. So hence the, the hence the question is, is the current model of the care delivery the right model? And, and do we need to pivot? And this is where telehealth comes into play and, and home monitoring comes into play. And that is that the, the center of care is actually, as you said earlier, is where the, uh, it is where the patient is. The home actually mm-hmm. becomes a setting of care in and of itself, uh, in, in order to affect the, the types of changes that we're looking in, in overall outcomes, uh, for the, for the, for each patient. Thank you, Tom. Let's get Dr. Holly Miller at MedAllies to chime in on this. Dr. Miller, what do you think about uh, what Tom calls these global trends? Um, well, we certainly have started at the kind of uh, the pinnacle of the issues, haven't we? <laughs> but um, I, I think that the true revolution in healthcare right now is really moving to be patient-centered. And to that, in that way, telehealth perfectly fits into that model because we know that patients like their healthcare to be convenient for them. And mm-hmm. in fact, there's been huge satisfaction with telehealth um, from the patient point of view. So I think this is a very important trend. Um, in addition, when we think about the value proposition and funding, Classically, telehealth hasn't always been funded. And if we move to a more value-based than fee-for-service model, that we would hope that more telehealth would be happening to track patients, to follow patients with chronic conditions before they become seriously ill and make interventions to prevent um, their decline and to improve outcomes. I think it's also very important there's a serious trend toward care managers who are most frequently nurses managing, mm-hmm. um, co-managing along with patients self-managing. Uh, these are for the highest risk patients with very serious chronic conditions, and a lot of this can be done through telehealth, and it's a wonderful way to touch base on a regular basis. 
Very interesting. Dr. Miller, before I, I bring Clemens, I'm going to bring you in on this a second in a second. Uh, Dr. Miller, I'm thinking as you're speaking and as Tom was speaking, what is one of the most frequent things we hear a colleague say at work or a friend on the phone? I have to go to the doctor today. How often do we hear that, right? I have to go. I have to sit in a waiting room. I have to. So my question to you, Dr. Miller, is does this decrease response time if, if you have a telehealth situation with a doctor, do you get immediate care? Just a sidebar here. Well, that's a really interesting question because um, uh, at my former um, employer at the Cleveland Clinic, they've been doing telehealth for many years, and one of the big issues is scheduling. So telehealth patients need to be scheduled just as regular, you know, as as on-site patients do Mm -hmm. because the doctor has a standing schedule. Now, there's a movement in many um, practices to move to real-time or same-day scheduling, which makes it somewhat easier for telehealth to happen. But nonetheless, the appointments do need to be scheduled. Very interesting. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that because I, I think the implication is, well, I'll just uh, email my doctor or I'll just text message him and he'll tell me what that whether that bunion on my left toe is really getting bad or whether my mom really needs to come into the hospital right now. Very interesting. Thank you. Clemens, love to get your thoughts on this topic. What do you think? Yeah, Holly, did you want to say something? Yeah, one, uh, but a different model, the one that I was referring to in terms of the care managers, Mm -hmm. now that could be streams of data that the care managers are tracking along with the patient and determining when they need to be in touch. So it's a more proactive model than reactive, where the care manager or the patient could freely interact. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for clarifying that. And now, Clemens, love to get your POV on this. A lot of, lot of good information circling around here. What do you see? This is uh, definitely a very interesting discussion, so very, very good input, I think. And, and the thing is, of course, that this is also a discussion that I have uh, both with, uh, with experts but also with everybody in the population, right? That is really something that has a big impact on all of us. I would maybe like to give it a, a slightly different twist, right? Because I think that if we, if we look at, at diseases, right, at, at the causes of death of patients, right, heart disease, stroke, cancer, chronic risk, respiratory disease, diabetes, these are basically the big tickets globally uh, that affect our lives, that, that cause chronic disease and that cause, for instance, these costs, etc. Now, the interesting thing is that if you look at these, these diseases, uh, they are in many cases preventable. So we are talking about, uh, on the one side, sick patients, and on the other side, we are talking about health consumers, healthy consumers. And if we think about these diseases, for instance, obesity is one of the key drivers behind these diseases, right? So we tend to be overweight. Many people are overweight globally in, in, in many, many different countries. It has to do with lack of exercise, uh, etc. Of course, there is also some genetic predisposition that plays into this. But obesity is a global epidemic, and it is having a tremendous impact impact on the quality of life of of us as healthy consumers and then eventually of us as patients. Now, as obesity is to a large extent a lifestyle disease, mobile devices can really help to, to start controlling this, right? Because mobile devices allow us to influence lifestyle. Just think of things like step counters or synchronizing your skills in your bathroom with your smartphone over Bluetooth, etc. 
And I think that for that reason, uh, these develop, new developments, new technologies, for instance, in, in mobile, can really start us to help prevent diseases, and this will really be a, have a tremendous effect as well on the costs uh, that we have from, uh, from these different diseases. Thank you very much, Clemens. I'm going to circle back to Tom Foley, who started this great topic. Tom, any comments about what Dr. Holly Miller and Clemens provided on top of what you introduced? Say the uh, the patient has to be doesn't have to go to the doctor. They have to be seen by the doctor. And Holly actually raises a, an interesting balance between the the convenience surrounding the the scheduling aspect of of that as as well as the the proactive care because you know telehealth isn't enough, if you will. If you take a a, a listen to you know when you talk about wearing devices and that those. And, and connected medicine and that information uh, passing through to your your care coordinator and your your, your care providers, it, sometimes there needs to be a proactive uh, and very immediate response to uh, to uh, to the delivery of care. Again, it's not and, and quite frankly, it's not necessarily what happens when you're actually talking to the doctor, uh, as as listed in one of the uh, the points uh, that I had provided earlier. Uh, you know, there's two numbers, 8,760, which is the number of hours in a given year, and 15, which is the number of hours, uh, average number of hours a, a Medicare patient who has five chronic conditions sees nine different doctors in a given year. The difference, the, the, the difference is the care gap. It's not what happens when you're in front of the doctor, it's what happens when you're not in front of the doctors that most affects your health. So how do we become more cognizant of, uh, how do we take care of ourselves better? And, and how does the care team and coach, care coach actually engage you along the way so that you, that everyone can ultimately achieve uh, the degrees of wellness that uh, we're all striving for? Thank you very much, Tom. Dr. Holly Miller, I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show. And let's get into uh, what I'll call the human side of healthcare. A couple of interesting words here. Talking about patient-centered care. And I think this is what everybody really wants, Dr. Miller. We want somebody to care about us while they're caring for us. So patient-centered care is defined by the IOM. And Holly, tell me, what is the IOM? Is International Institute of Medicine. Okay, I wasn't even close. <laughs> Institute of Medicine, thank you very much. Patient-centered care is defined by the Institute of Medicine in 2001, and I think this is still holds today, is providing care that is respectful of and responsive to, those to me are the two key words, individual patient preferences, needs, and values, and ensuring that patient values guide all clinical decisions. Is this uh, embraced, Dr. Miller? Is this something that, that is going to happen? Happen in telemedicine and telecare. Is this something that's that's supposed to happen in all clinical settings? What do you think? Yes, I definitely think <laughs> this is um, uh, this is critical. And and when a physician tells a patient what they need to do, and they the patient does not do it, the patient is called non-compliant. But what role did that patient have in making the decisions about their health? So I think that this really becomes a partnership where um, the care that's provided is completely aligned with the patient's self-goals and readiness to change. 
Now, I think that Clemens brought up something really interesting, which is how do we prevent people from developing habits and lifestyles that are unhealthy? Now, that's not necessarily... Um, I think there are a lot of technology right now. There's lots of technology right now that that um, that engages individuals in being more focused on their health. iPhones count your steps. Fitbit mm-hmm. even track your sleep. Um, so this really are these are tools that an individual can use to to help and manage their health. Um, I think a long term retrospective study recently showed, however, that um, they, they really, individuals don't stay with programs of this nature. So it becomes very interesting to, as Tom brought up, how do we truly engage patients? And, and I think it takes the team approach, engaging the patient if they desire their family members and caregivers or, or those close to them, and really um, focusing on what the patient wants as his or her own goals and then supporting those. Thank Engaging you very much. when patients yeah. are ready to change and moving very quickly on that will to change. Yes, very interesting. Thank you. Uh, options and choices. And I, I, I'm still centering on those two words, Dr. Miller, respectful and responsive, which is, is very, very wide-reaching and all-embracing for the, the provider to have to do that. Let's get Clemens in on, on this. Clemens suter Kresalora at SAP. What do you think about what Holly Miller introduced for us about patient-centered care? No, I think that uh, for everything that we do, we have to put the patient at the center, right? Because we have, of course, uh, uh, many different stakeholders that interact with the patient. It's not just the physician, but it is also care facilities. There are insurers, there are governments, uh, there are pharma companies, etc., etc. And all these stakeholders uh, interact with the patient, and they are well advised to put us as patients completely in the center. I think I would like to pitch and throw in something else as well, and I think uh, uh, Tom alluded that to that already uh, with, his, with his introduction. I mean, the difficulty at the moment is as well that we are not very strong in healthcare, actually. We are mostly focusing on sick care. So we are not working enough on keeping people healthy or prohibiting people or helping people to, to stay healthy. Uh, instead of that, we are really spending our dollars in, in, in treating sick people. And I think that is very, very important to keep in mind because if we work together with this patient, if the patient is in the center of our attention, actually if the consumer, the, the healthy person is in, our, in the center of our attention, then we can really start helping these people much better. Right? We would be far better off. I think one of the things is, of course, something like self-care. There's a very uh, active drive to make sure that patients do not visit the doctor from the beginning, right? that they do not immediately go to a doctor, but that they are much more enabled to, uh, to, to help themselves. And I think what also plays into this is, of course, that the research and the po- technical possibilities are massively increasing. And this has a, a huge effect on the, on the amount of data that is becoming available. And, and my prediction would be for the future is that healthcare is really going to be very, very data-centric. And that has a, a very big impact on us as patients and also a very big impact on the physicians 
I would I would tentatively like to to put a hypothesis forward that mm-hmm. a physician in the future will also be somebody that helps the patient through the data jungle that that goes with this patient on a journey through the data jungle and helps this patient to stay healthy or to have a better quality of life. Thank you very much, Clemens. Tom Foley at Lenovo Health. Thoughts? Please join us. Yes, so uh, patient-centered care. Uh, I, uh, the, the one important uh, component of that, why I agree wholeheartedly with what Dr. Miller had stated, um, is, is what is centric to that is coordinated care. Uh, I always use the example, uh, I actually come from New Jersey, uh, and, and you know, being in central New Jersey, I had the opportunity to get some great health care, uh, access to great health care uh, services in New York City. Uh, 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 over in, uh, in locally in the, in the Princeton area as well as mm-hmm. uh, down in Philadelphia. So three different states, uh, Philadelphia being the city, of course, but uh, three different uh, states, three different uh, healthcare systems, three different data silos. Uh, coordinated care is, is, is really uh, critical. So in order to achieve wellness, there's, there certainly needs to be someone that is focused on the patient, and the patient is is a collaborative partner in that delivery of, of care. And, and I couldn't agree more with what uh, Clemens was indicating in, in regards to uh, data. Uh, now, think about how doctors are trained today. They are not trained. Well, I do agree that uh, data and being able to sift through the data and, 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 and that data. So it's not important to have the data. It's important to have the the intelligent layer that sits uh, over top of that data is to better educate, you know, a patient. So when they take their blood pressure or a glucose reading or they get on the scale and they look at trends that something actually advises them that says, hey, I think I would go see a doctor today because you're, you know, you shouldn't eat that jelly donut and, uh, and your glucose levels uh, is off the charts uh, type of thing. So, you know, some real practical guidance uh, because you know, we just don't have the resources, the physical resources, people resources, to be able to be that, um, uh, that plat- uh, to, the, to be that platform. And quite frankly, from an SAP perspective and the business intelligence platforms and how do they consumerize that, uh, not only for how do they consumerize the data for the consumer to, con- uh, to understand the data, but also how do they... How do they? Um, how does the uh, physician care team uh, do that from uh, from their medical education uh, backgrounds? Same data might uh, might provide uh, two different uh, guidance. Uh, same guidance, but uh, one at a deeper level based on uh, you know their medical training. So thank it's, you uh, very. It's yep. a very interesting uh, problem, and I think if the if we focus on those types of problems versus the payment side of the equation, which is often what legislators do, uh, we would find ourselves in a very different place relative to a, a better and, and safer healthcare system. Thank you very much. Dr. Holly Miller, I'm going to circle around to you. Any comments on what Clemens and Tom added to your topic? I think that we're all in agreement. We are kind of revisiting the same themes. So, uh, no, not not at the moment. Okay, thank you very much. Dr. Clemens Suter-Krasilara, I'm looking at your notes here. A lot of very interesting topics. I don't think we've covered 
Oh, there were three here. Um, I want to talk about data privacy, Clemens. I'm just going to pull up one of these topics and, and let me know if you want to add anything to it. You say patient or consumer information should be freely available for research in an anonymized manner to benefit us. However, data privacy is top of mind. How do we reconcile those, Clemens? Thoughts? Yeah. Uh, it is it is actually absolutely top of mind. So any customer or, or partner that I speak to, the, the the discussion very quickly hones in on data privacy, right? So it is a very sensitive topic, and I think we are all affected by it because what's going to happen to my data, right? If I'm a healthy person or if I'm uh, if I'm an actual patient. The interesting thing is that uh, the question about what is going to happen to my data uh, evaporates very quickly if people get sick. Yeah? So if you talk to a patient. In many cases, they will say, oh, I will sign off on anything because it will help me, perhaps, or it will help patients like me. So I think uh, the, 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 the important thing is actually uh, not so much the patient data, but the healthy patient data, the healthy consumer. How can we get those medical records? Because there's a lot of content in there, a lot of information in there that if you start really crunching and analyzing that data, you can learn tremendous amounts of, of, of new uh, uh, techniques and new information. You can get, gain a lot of new information from it. Now, how, how do you handle this? I think that basically, of course, uh, the technology to keep data private and secure is available today, right? So it, it, technologically, it is achievable, and you, you can find the right solutions. And then there are novel technologies uh, such as blockchain, right? Blockchain is one of those technologies that is used for Bitcoin, which is this this, uh, mm-hmm. this uh, crypto uh, uh, currency that is available. Blockchain has these distributed ledgers. I don't want to go into the technical detail, but blockchain is typically one of those new technologies that would really help us to keep data very, very secure, specifically in the healthcare area. So there's a lot happening in that area. And that allows us to protect data and to also find leakage of data. But I think, still think that in the end, the patient or consumer information in an anonymized fashion should be available for research because we can gain so much information from it and it will benefit us in the end so much that I think it is really worthwhile to, to investigate this very closely and to really aim together with the patients uh, with the proper consent management to, to really mine that data optimally. Thank you, Clemens. Before I get Tom and Dr. Holly Miller in on this, I want to read one more point here from your notes that I think goes along with this. You say the cost of sequencing a human genome is expected to drop from $1 billion 15 years ago to about $200, an amazing reduction factor of $5 million. Is this 200 or $200 million, uh, Clemens? I'm not sure from your notes here. No, no. Uh, no. No, it is, it is really an amazing drop in cost. So uh, at the moment, I think you can have a complete human genome sequence for about $1,000. At the moment, there are technologies being created that it will cost around $2, $200. Actually, I visited HIMSS last year, and there was somebody who said, at a certain point, having your genome sequence will be cheaper than flushing the toilet. So I thought that was a bit of a, of a funny remark to make, but I, the, the cost is dramatically changing. And this is just one of those uh, revolutionary changes in technology that is happening that is going to have a tremendous impact on us as consumers and as patients. 
Thank you. And now what I was hoping to do is put the two together, the idea of data being anonymized to meant to benefit research and the cost of sequencing a human genome, which is part of that research effort. So now that I got you to talk about both of those, now let's circle around the table to Tom Foley at Lenovo Health. Tom, any thoughts on privacy, anonymity, on uh, sequencing of genomes? Any thoughts? Well, this is a very interesting topic because uh, you talk about you know, when you're talking about data, you're talking about de-identified data as well as identified data. And from the uh, from an identified data perspective, um, we ultimately have to start with uh, who owns the data uh, because it's in the care of the physician. Are they the owner and then can take? liberties with the data to de-identify it and donate it to research, or is it the, is it the patient that actually uh, owns the data and needs to give permission to a physician to de-identify it and contribute that to research? I think those are questions that still need to be answered. I think that there's a lot of value in what and what uh, Clemens is suggesting, I actually uh, support with what he's suggesting, but I don't believe that we've come to grips yet on the the regulatory aspects of just because you have data, uh, you know, who, who has the right to just de-identify it and contribute it to, um, yeah, yeah, and contribute that to uh, to research. I think there needs to be some greater uh, discussion on that. It, it could, it seemingly on the surface seems simple. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, uh, just because I own a house, does that mean you get to uh, uh, do something with it and, and, and take parts of it? Uh, or you know, just, and just because now I de-identified, it can it can be used for uh, for other purposes. I'm I'm not quite sure we're there yet on the regulatory front, uh, but it is uh, you know. Uh, and and the other the other portion of that is how much mm-hmm. of our consumer behaviors contribute to the types of data uh, that we have and how does that how do behavior skew the data relative to the research that we're trying to do there's a lot of quote unquote unknowns to the data because it's too raw to, to make an interpretation of you know what really caused that diabetes and uh, could it could it have been controlled versus saying, hey, I got a person here, a de-identified person here with diabetes, and therefore uh, they fall into a general bucket of uh, of uh, of others uh, in that same class. Um, again, a very interesting topic, and I think a, a lot more discussion needs to be had before we uh, before we jump into that uh, into that uh, sticky wicket, if you will. Thank you. Sticky wicket notwithstanding, let's get Dr. Holly Miller in on this quickly. Dr. Miller, privacy, anonymity of data, and or the idea of genome testing. What do you think? Um, fascinating topic. I think that mm-hmm. uh, what Tom was getting at, and probably Clemens would agree, um, a holy grail of, of data would be um, de-identified data that would include for each individual um, their genetic, their clinical, and their behavioral information. So that that would enable us to really look at trends. Um, the idea of personalized medicine as a physician, I will tell you, is very appealing because we may start a patient on a medicine um, given our experience and our training, but the notion that from the, the 
massive amounts of data, we would know, given someone's profile and behaviors and uh, genetics, that this medicine, as opposed to the other one, is the one that will have the lowest side effects and the most efficacy for a given patient. So there's parts of that that are incredibly appealing as a clinician. The idea that we would be able to treat more effectively patients um, <clears throat> from analysis of massive amounts of data, that we would really be able to target preventive care. For example, if we were able to identify a subset of patients that would never have breast cancer, and those mm-hmm. patients wouldn't have to get mammograms or a subset of patients that would never develop colon cancer and they wouldn't have to have colon cancer screening. So the costs would go down. We could focus our efforts on patients that we know are really truly at risk. So there's appealing parts of this. But obviously, privacy is a very considerable concern, and I have heard that it's not difficult to re-identify data that's been de-identified. I don't know, Um, but that would be a concern. I will say that one of the biggest factors in this, at least in the United States, is people are concerned that they could lose their health insurance based on pre-existing conditions, and Mm -hmm. this just has to stop. We, We have to have a system of insurance with payers where patients do not leave, lose insurance based on pre-existing health conditions. Thank you, Dr. Miller. Guess what, everyone? We are already about knee-deep into our predictions round. we got three minutes left till the end of the show, but this was such a good conversation. I didn't want to interrupt it. So, Tom Foley, let me circle back to you. Why don't you give me a three-sentence prediction? Don't make them a huge paragraph. Three short sentences. Uh, around the year 2020, Tom, I'm looking at that on all of our shows now because it's we've been talking about it for ages, and it's almost here. So, around 2020, where will the status, do you see at Lenovo Health, what will the status be of consumer? Healthcare in terms of telehealth, in terms of mobility, patient involvement, anonymity, privacy, research, any or all of the above. A three-sentence prediction. Tom Foley, go. Uh, I see the uh, the intelligent home turning into an intelligent medical home, and we will have a uh, interoperable, connected uh, platform in the home to allow the patient to engage uh, their care team when and, and, and if they choose. Thank you very much. Well, you certainly left some leftover time there for Dr. Miller. So, Holly Miller, I can give you a full 60 seconds. Knock yourself out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I see the trends of team-based care. Uh, Tom did reference earlier that there is a a deficit. There's not enough primary care physicians to care for for the aging population and our increasing uh, uh, population. So I think that there will be much more of a focus on partnership with patients, team-based care, where we really will be using technical tools and technology. Um, Both patients will use these tools or or consumers will use these tools for self-care, when they have developed disease, and for preventive care. And I think that there will be a strong emphasis on that and a continued emphasis on that. And um, in addition, I think, as Tom says, there will be far more interaction with intelligent uh, devices and the ability to have um, not face-to-face encounters, but we can work to have preventive care through telehealth. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Clement Suter Cresolera. I have about 45 seconds for you. Fit as many sentences as you can into it. Go ahead. I think that the technology will uh, continue to develop very, very quickly and very, very rapidly. So I think that there will be uh, much more interactions of the patients with mobile devices uh, on their bodies, but also maybe inside of their bodies that will collect more and more data. So I I truly believe that data will become more and more important for this. Uh, I think that there will be a huge drive to really put the patient and indeed at the center also the data, the patient's concerns about data security. Uh, but I also have the feeling that like with the Internet of Things, which is a new uh, platform by which devices can communicate with each other, something like the Internet of Patients will also lo- slowly come into place. It is not just the relationship between a single patient and their physician, but more of a patient that interacts with a network of, of more data, more information to really help that patient to have a, a very uh, high-quality life and to have a very satisfying life. Clemens, the Internet of Patients, that's a whole other show. We'll have to talk to Brad Borkin and Paul Clark about that. Thank you, Tom Foley at Lenovo Health. <laughs> Pleasure to have you back on the air. I love it when the last 30 seconds is, is a whole new topic, and that's what's exciting about these conversations. Tom Foley, thank you. Dr. Holly Miller, real pleasure to meet you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. We really appreciate your time. And Dr. Clemens Suter Krasalara at SAP, also pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your insights, all three. Shout out again to Susan Walker, Brad Borkin, and Paul Clark at SAP. Shout out to my colleagues at the Digitalist Magazine. Thank you for tweeting and retweeting. And we have uh, Raj Bal was also listening and, and tweeting. Thank you very much, Rajiv. And we appreciate that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back in one hour with a new edition of Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. Be talking about new digital realities. Does your data quality matter? The answer is heck yes. We'll be back in an hour. Don't even think of touching that dial because we want you to listen again to Game Changers. Here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Fasten your seatbelt. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.